This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoi. And as promised in the studio with me, Dr. Murali Taramunisami, Managing Director of the National Cancer Society of Malaysia. And we'll be discussing whether people with NCDs or non-communicable diseases in Malaysia are able to enjoy universal health coverage. And if you're not familiar with what that term means, well, that will be part of our discussion today as well. And whether everyone in Malaysia living with an NCD is actually able to access um, the quality of healthcare services that they need um, to ensure optimal outcome when it comes to their condition. And what does that actually mean, right? Um, to achieve optimal outcome if you're living with one of the many um, non-communicable diseases that we're so familiar with today, everything from diabetes to heart disease to cancer, uh, many along the spectrum as well. And so do call us if you have questions or thoughts you'd like to share. 03-777-32900. You can also WhatsApp 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Dr. Murali, how are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to be back on. Absolutely. You guys. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. So um, if I can jump right into it, and it's a, it's a bit of a heavy question though. I mean, when we talk about NCDs, um, perhaps there's this assumption that if you've been diagnosed with a non-communicable disease, um, it comes with poorer quality of life. It comes with um, lots of uh, trips in and out of the hospital. It comes with higher medical costs to you and probably to your caregivers, right? Um, do you think this needs to be the case? Um, in your vision, how would you like to see the kind of life that people with NCDs could lead? Thanks so much. So very visionary I suppose, idea. But uh, this is the thing, it's not too far off. In countries like, um, in high-income countries, basically countries like Norway, Finland, um, you're getting o like OECD countries, basically. Um, you you're seeing the kind of uh, quality of life that, that, I hate to use the word normal person, but like what Joe Public would have, a person with NCD would be able to enjoy. Mm. And these are things that, you know, um, we kind of, People there take for granted, I think, already because within their health systems, these needs are provided for. And for us, the sad reality of what you're saying is that's actually true because a lot of people don't have the care that they need at the early stages. Mm. So what happens is you get an NCD, whether you're diagnosed with hypertension or, or diabetes or even a, even a heart disease, because of our inability to get the kind of quality of care or even kind of pay for it in a meaningful manner, what happens is we stinge. We scrimp, we pay, we avoid, and uh, we kind of cut out so-called unnecessary corners, which are necessary. What happens is then you get worse and worse, the disease becomes worse and worse, and then finally you're stuck with like, for example, uh, chronic kidney disease, which requires dialysis, and then, you know, the costs that are associated with that. And people see that end, people see the end stage renal failure, mm. and they're thinking like, wow, this person has really poor quality of life, you know, da, da, da. But if we had managed to arrest the disease or, you know, keep it in check, this person would have had like 20, 30 years of good, normal quality life. Mm, but what is that care that they need at the early stages? And... What then are people stinging or, or cutting back or compromising on? Right. Because, uh, I mean, sometimes, like, how to say, I may have 
um, I, I may be saying that oh, people are stinging, but it's not like they want to sting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's where kind of where this, this, is, this issue is like a conundrum. So it's like a chicken egg thing. So where do people sting? Is basically um, one of the things that we want to do is prevent disease. Nobody's putting money into prevention, you know, and um, it's not things that need to be done by the health ministry. For example, we, we don't need to go far. In our canteens and schools, we provide rubbish food. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's why we have this whole amount of like childhood obesity. We're seeing like higher rates of like early onset cancers, mm. these kind of things. But we, we stinge, meaning we be willing to put second or third grade food, which is cheap, into our canteens mm. just to make sure that, you know, everyone can buy something. But if you don't subsidize like healthy meals and put that onto plates, and that's where you're going to see the, the kind of further runoff. Mm -hmm. So, for example, that's prevention. I don't even want to go down the road into screening because screening in this country is covered by no one. Sure, the Ministry of Health helps quite a bit. They do what they can in all these little pockets everywhere. But the sad reality is in countries like, like um, South Korea, for example, every year they send you a box. The box has got everything you need. They can send your poo, your pee, uh, blood. There's even a little extractor give you an entire health test, they give you a voucher, you go get all your screening done, all this covered by the government mm. or by the health insurance. And because of that, people, if and when they do pick up disease, get picked up early. Mm. And then what you then have is you also have the like whole treatment pocket where people can get expensive, I use the word expensive very relatively, yeah? but um, good quality medication that they need to control their disease. Here, I mean, again, sad reality, we don't have money. Or there's a lot of like kind of restrictions in place. Good medication goes to people in late stage. Like things are bad enough. So like we try you with, now mind lah, you use the two-wheeler first, cannot then four-wheeler, then only you go to like ambulance, something like that. Mm. So here you get good medication by late stages. Because uh, if we put them up for everyone early, that's just, we can't keep up mm. the cost. So, so there's that sort of, um, the, that value kind of uh, uh, thinking that, uh, and calculation that's sort of going on in order to maximise the little resources we have. And it comes back to resources. South Korea can do something like that because they have a healthcare financing uh, scheme, don't they? Which is probably a different conversation. Yep, longer more ugly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but you yeah. know, um, what about some difficult decisions that people have to make themselves, right? We didn't, we're not comfortable using the word stinge and you're absolutely mm. right. It's not, it's not a choice that they're making voluntarily. They are desperate enough to have to s decide for themselves, I actually literally can't afford this, so I have to settle for this instead. Yep. What, what are some examples of that happening? Yeah, so, um, for, for example, if you have, uh, uh, and I'm going to go down very hard examples here. For example, if you have a child living with cancer, there's no way you're going to sting on that child's medication, whatever the person needs. We spend anything and everything we can on our children. But like that will come at a cost of for yourself, even caring for yourself. Because sometimes you're an adult who has diabetes or hypertension or all these other things. And when you have to make a choice, you make a choice. Okay, and like uh, those choices may not be pretty and all these choices have costs. And um, that, that's again coming back to the whole value kind of argument. You, you mm. pick this because it has higher value, mm. right? But um, I'm actually uh, talking about people making decisions slightly downstream 
So before things become a problem, there are choices that you can make. And that's when you have the kind of utility, you have the money to kind of spend a little. And that time, there are choices that you can make. And people may be better off making those choices. Of course, some people have no choices from the beginning right up to the end. Like, does anyone want to live in a um, difficult, squalid condition in, in a house with like 10 other people, rented room and, you know, nobody wants to. They're forced to. Yeah, but those are conditions. Uh, but for perhaps a significant part of the population, they may have some choices which they can make much earlier on to avoid getting into kind of the mess. You know, it may be shocking to some of us that there are even still pockets of the population who have to make those difficult decisions um, later on when the diagnosis has come and they're choosing between one life and another life, basically. And you wonder why. I mean, we may not be Norway, uh, those um, high-income countries that you mentioned earlier, but um, Malaysia has always prided itself on achieving universal health coverage. Now, um, walk me through, break it down a little bit maybe, what exactly perhaps the term universal health coverage means. And then if we go a bit granular, right, if we look at it with the nuances of NCDs, um, what then are the gaps that we're seeing? Okay, so <clears throat> let's let's go back Getting to... Getting ready for an ec- yeah. health economics lesson here. <laughs> yeah. Nala, so very simply put, actually, if you go back uh, to look at universal health coverage and you looked at it, it's actually got three kind of um, layers to it or dimensions to it. The first, when we talk about universal health coverage, it means that as many people or the whole population should be covered in terms of health. Uh, what do I mean by covered? Which means that they should be able to get to healthcare whenever they need it, if and when they need it. And um, that that percentage of the populations that's covered, theoretically, since independence, Malaysia is 100%. Right? Theoretically. Theoretically. Okay, of course, like, for example, we'll, we'll break that down in a bit, yeah? Okay, and then we go to the second layer. The second layer is what is actually in that coverage? Mm. Okay, so is it... Um, uh, what kind of medication, what kind of treatments, what kind of access and the quality associated with that as well. And that's the kind of second layer. Again, within the public health sector in Malaysia, you're supposed to have this covered 100%. And then comes the third layer, which is how much do you actually have to pay? And uh, will this actually put you at the risk of, of getting into financial catastrophe like you literally bankrupt from uh, paying for your own medical treatment. Again, not supposed to happen in Malaysia where the public health care system is about 85-90% subsidised. Now, so theoretically, we've got universal health coverage on all these fronts. What are the problems? First, in terms of the percentage of the population that's covered, of course, we argue everyone has access to health care. But access to health care is very different in Sarawak than it is in the heart of KL. In the heart of KL, you've got like HKL, you've got PPUM, you've got all these other private hospitals, if you can afford to pay for them, you've got insurance coverage. So you've got all this. So in, say, rural Sarawak, or actually you don't need to even go so far, even, um, say, certain parts of Perak, even on the, on the West Coast, mm. there are places where, even though you have access, theoretically, it'll take you like six months, perhaps, to actually get to see a specialist. There are people even patients of mine who've gone through the entire disease course for years without ever seeing a specialist. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so this is in terms of the quality of care that's being offered. How long do you wait to get a CT scan? Uh, you can get a CT scan. It's free. But if you're going to wait like two months, you know, are those things that we should be living with becomes like an issue. Mm. Next is, of course, how much do you have to pay? And with chronic disease, non-communicable disease, it becomes an issue of the one, um, there's this very old Chinese saying, which doesn't exactly come to my mind, death by a thousand cuts. Mm. You know, where people can chop off your head like a Japanese samurai one stroke and you're dead, or they can just cut you one little razor blade at a time and you finally bleed out to death. And uh, that's the story with non-communicable disease and the cost that they have to kind of bear with. So it's like you have to pay a little bit, little bit every month, every week, every week. And so there's a lot of things that are not covered within the like non-communicable disease treatment uh, landscape and that really affects people living with yeah. NCD so, over so the long run. Remember earlier you said that um, theoretically um, 80 plus, almost 90% of um, uh, what's what kind of treatment is available in the public health sector is subsidised and, uh, again, in theory, available to uh, Malaysian citizens, at least, uh, at that subsidised cost, right? Um, is the reality of it that a lot of other, um, perhaps, ancillary um, care, support and treatments uh, don't necessarily come uh, are provided by our public health sector? For sure. So two big examples of that in, in non-communicable disease. When it comes to it, like an acute, very severe condition in non-communicable disease, like for example, uh, you get a heart attack. You can get diabetes treatment anywhere in Malaysia, in a small clinic, government clinic, one ringgit or no cost if you're B40, that kind of thing. But if you genuinely needed a heart attack, uh, sorry, you needed to be treated for a heart attack, you need a big tertiary centre. That's not available everywhere. For example, I mean, sad, but... We only have like a big public tertiary center now in Serdang Hospital and they're doing their best. But waiting times are like ridiculous. So people can't afford to wait. So, and, and this is, I'm talking about a heart attack story. So things like rheumatoid arthritis, other kind of oh, psoriasis, mm. um, diseases in which they're chronic, they're debilitating. People will not die from them. Like you don't get a heart attack and die straight away but they will kill them over the long run. Mm. And with this kind of diseases, there's almost nothing to look at. So in terms of it's free, treatment's free, but you'll never get to treatment in any significant value of time. Yeah, so right. that's, that's one, one picture. But also the cost, when, if and when you do get to see these people in these in this particular hospitals, they are again crippled by the type of medications that they can prescribe. So you get this like Mercedes type, uh, Ferrari type of drugs, which really can then bring you almost back to normal. Um, but no but one can come, afford to pay yeah, for it. Yeah. I mean, they come with a price tag, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And the public health system um, needs to be able to afford to purchase those in the first place. And then comes that sort of value argument, who can you even prescribe it to? Yep, absolutely. What a sobering conversation to start the new year with, Morali. Yep. Yep. You must be questioning your decision to, <laughs> to join um, me in the studio today. Yeah, no, no, it's always a good thing because if you can get like 20 people who can make their choice, if they made their choice today, it'd be good. Yeah, so I think what we want to do after the break is then, um, where do we go from here? Um 
uh, National Cancer Society of Malaysia was part of producing a sort of a guide, a report that uh, talks about many small umbrellas, so, sort of that um, perhaps more granular approach to ensuring that people with NCDs uh, can uh, sort of avoid those pitfalls that right. you talked about. Right. And so let's go uh, into that part of the discussion when we come back from the break. I'm speaking to Dr. Murali Munisami, Managing Director of the National Cancer Society of Malaysia, about universal health coverage, how that, uh, how we can view that in the context of people with non-communicable diseases, what are the gaps, um, as we have already heard from Dr. Murali, and what can we do about it? Share your thoughts with us. 033-773-32900 is the number to call. You can also WhatsApp 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be right back on Health and Living BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. My guest in the studio with me today, Dr. Muralita Ramunisami, Managing Director of the National Cancer Society of Malaysia, also co-chair of NCD Malaysia. And um, NCD Malaysia, in fact, um, just... Uh, in December, they were working very hard at the year end as well, um, produced a guide um, titled Many Small Umbrellas. And that, that was sort of like a guide to um, sort of helping us all take a look at what different kinds of approaches can be taken to ensure that people living with non-communicable diseases can get the um, type, can get access to, get the quality um, of healthcare services that they need and um, at a cost that is accessible to them without causing um, financial burden. And those are all gaps that Dr. Murali had already explained before the break, that even though, in theory, Malaysia's healthcare system has healthcare facilities uh, that should be within reach um, for all people living in the country, uh, that there should be subsidised and very, very affordable services and the types of uh, treatments that all of us need, in reality, there are still a lot of gaps uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, in the case of our discussion today, people living with non-communicable diseases. Now, um, I think you briefly mentioned this earlier, Morali. Um, does screening have to be something that, or, or does prevention have to be something that's solely, you know, under the ambit of the Ministry of Health, right? And you gave a great example. It doesn't have to be when we look at um, food in school canteens, for instance, and that is one um, health sort of intervention, isn't it, to prevent a lot of the um, lifestyle, obesity-related problems that set in during and uh, later on in, in uh, after childhood. So if we are talking about the kinds of um, gaps that you described when it comes to people with NCDs not being able to access the type and um, quality of healthcare services that they need, whose responsibility is it to ensure that then? So um, I, I spent the earlier part of the segment whining about uh, <laughs> how the system's not uh, perhaps like not not doing enough, not perfect. Well, we've got some issues with it. Now, what we've taken is unfortunately or fortunately is a very pragmatic approach. Rather than sit and whine and complain like, oh, you know, the government should be doing this. We make a case that, look, it's everybody's problem because at the end of the day, as much as, I mean, sure, the government suffers productivity is down, you know, nations die, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this kind of thing is big picture economics. But in, on the small level, it's our aunts and uncles, it's our children, it's our parents who are dying from this. So we take the approach that, look, we have to do something by ourselves. Sure, the government will do what it can when it can. 
when there's ever enough money, there's never going to be ever enough mm-hmm. money into healthcare. Mm-hmm. But we make the approach that everyone has got a little bit of a part to play. And these are what we go with this idea of many small umbrellas. Why the idea of many small umbrellas, just in case anyone who's listening is like, what the hell is this first talking about in terms of umbrellas? So uh, for universal health coverage, the, the WHO actually has this big picture. The logo of it is a large umbrella. So the, the umbrella being large enough to shelter the entire population from any kind of health risk. So uh, whatever the rain, like you, cancer is being thrown at you, heart attack, all these like bits of rain, hailstorm or whatever, the umbrella can hold up and, and shield you from yeah, it. That's what our of, healthcare system is supposed to do. Yep. So we're making the case that our umbrella is broken, a lot of holes in it. And we, every time we get monsoon rain, KL. Uh, so, um, you know, we're making the case that everyone needs to get small umbrellas. And everyone can hold up the small umbrellas and these umbrellas can perhaps function together to hold off a bit more of the rain. What do I mean by small umbrellas? Organizations, communities, and even individuals playing their small little part to actually assist in defraying these little gaps in universal health coverage. We talked about prevention earlier. Does the government need to put in a subsidized food program to make sure that healthy food is given to every single canteen in this country. I don't think so. There's something that PIBGs can do, schools can do. We spend an inordinate amount of ridiculous money on rubbish food. You know, So these are things that can be done on a very micro level. All it takes is maybe a couple of parents coming together and you know, starting up a drive in school, even putting up the little stalls. These are things that, that we should not be waiting for the Minister of Finance to actually fund directly down as a handout. Mm. Similarly, things like, for example, I talked about geographical disparities in healthcare. People living so far away from hospitals that they're never able to kind of come to hospitals and get care when they do need them. So, like, um, we've stepped up, I'm, I'm sure this is me selling ourselves, uh, self-promotion, hashtag. Um, what is it? So, for example, the Cancer Society, what a, a greater part of what we do now is start halfway homes all across the country to make sure that cancer patients, because we have very few hospitals that actually treat cancer. So we put up halfway hospitals. So if we can't bring the hospital to the patient, meaning build a hospital near enough to the patient, we bring the patient close enough to the hospital. So we bring halfway homes, uh, which we put up, patients can come and stay for free. And then they're able to travel to hospital, which is like five minutes away, three minutes away, for as long as time that they need to actually get treatment for cancer. Because what we fail to realise is that while that particular patient can go to the hospital to get that treatment at a at government cancer centre, let's say, for free, mm. they probably need caregivers to go with them. The caregivers need somewhere to stay. They are not um, privileged enough probably to be able to afford long-term accommodation. Is that right? A- absolutely. Because, like for example, a hotel room in KL costs between about 60 to 80 ringgit a night. And... For example, a cancer patient would need between at least about three or four weeks um, a cycle of treatment, and then this goes on for a couple of months. No one can afford to pay these kind of bills. I'm not even talking about food. Food in this country is like ridiculously expensive. Mm-hmm. So things like this, which actually have little to do with healthcare, but when you put them in, they help to resolve the problems pertaining to UHC. And look, and then now this patient from rural Sarawak or rural Kelantan is now able to get cancer care then the UHC bridge, that gap is kind of of sorted out. Mm. Because I think that's probably one um, very clear example of households um, making those difficult decisions not to pursue care simply because 
um, perhaps sending a child, like if you said a child with cancer, sending a child to um, a hospital in KL to get treatment means that they have to find the funds for the family members to go together with them. They lose income uh, being away from home. And quite possibly, I'm sure you will correct me if I'm wrong, there are families who actually forego care. Absolutely. There's huge numbers of people who forego care, especially, for example, uh, older adults. When it comes to between me needing to food, put food on the table or letting go of my income so they can get treatment, it's always going to be me caring for my family first, mm. sadly enough. Of course, yeah. Um, you know, how do we put all these small umbrellas together, though, to make sure that um, there are enough small umbrellas to plug all the holes or that you don't have an uh, perhaps distorted concentration of, of some um, initiatives doing one aspect, perhaps only screening and not looking at some of the other aspects of care? Right. I think you've hit the nail on two heads, um, if I could use that too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The first is, is, as you say, we need to figure out where the holes are. And it's not a national thing. It, it needs to come from a community level because every little community has got their own kind of sets of problems. I really love this idea of uh, a lot of our elected representatives in the past maybe couple of years who have started out providing these free ambulance services. It's become a thing now. It's quite popular. We, it's, I'm, it's amazing. I think it's really well done because whoever it is, I, I see people in Klantan doing it, Trungana doing it. Um, uh, what is this? I think now in PJ, someone's doing it as well. And um, what this done is for a lot of chronic disease patients, they're old, they can't even get to hospitals and uh, their kids can't take leave to send them. Mm -hmm. So even providing this service is helping to plug that gap. But someone's figured out that this is a problem within their community and they're acting to fix it, right? right. So it needs to come from this f community level. People figure out what are the gaps within their own levels mm. and try to fix that one. Second is, and as, as you say, unfortunately, these things are, how to say, sometimes not as publicity friendly as we would like them to be. So, for example, you run an ambulance service, oh, everyone's happy, so now everyone wants to run an ambulance service, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so there's a lot of duplication of resources. Yes, exactly. It's a waste of money, a waste of time. So then I think we need to be able to kind of pragmatically take a, a bitter pill, swallow a little bit. And uh, for communities or organizations, or so sometimes even now wealthy individuals going into this, um, kind of really look to see where you'd actually make a difference rather than where you can be seen on media to make a difference. That's quite a diff difficult thing. That is that is quite a distinction to be made, yeah. Um, but I like the idea um, if... Uh, we are talking about knowing what your community needs. Um, the example of uh, an MP or the, the Aduns doing that for their community. I mean, they already have the mechanics in place and they have databases of their um, citizens and residents. That seems like a perfect place to start, isn't it? Absolutely. So, um, I mean, these are people who are connected to the ground. They already have the kind of apparatus, the network, and it's really time to then plug in. We do a lot in terms of social uh, aid. For example, we do food baskets, which, which really is very helpful for, for people with, healthy, with health issues as well. Mm -hmm. But I think looking really at the dimension of UHC, meaning how do I um, settle these gaps which can help my people get to healthcare, this is something that needs perhaps a little bit more prompting, mm. a little bit more active thinking on, on the I part mean, of everyone. Yeah, what, what I worry about is lots of disparate small initiatives 
um, that help only perhaps a very small, um, you know, section of the population and, and your your umbrellas are still sort of only plugging some of the holes. Uh, absolutely. So, but like I, I give you this unfortunately sad reality um, in, in terms of healthcare reform in this country, we've been trying for close to 50 years. If we waited for that big umbrella, kita semua sort of mati banjir bos. Okay. Uh, we died in the flood. <laughs> so, so this is, it's it's temporary, it's top gap, yeah. but you know, mm. at least it it keeps the rain out today. Mm-hmm. And and actually on that note, I want to share a message from Andrew, who um, I think his experience depicts the kinds of pains that people with NCDs go through, even uh, with a procedure like a gallbladder stone removal. Andrew says, we know that when it finally begins to hurt, the pain can be unbearable. That's not the time to hear someone tell us, here are some painkillers, we can schedule you to see a specialist in three months' time. <laughs> and um, that's not even the beginning of the conversation on um, planning the operation for the removal of the stone. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, theoretically, Andrew has access to gallbladder surgery. Yes. In practically, he may, be get, out, he may get it after his gallbladder up just like, you know. Okay. Um, always sobering to have you. It's yeah. a dose of reality, really. <laughs> um, just a quick word on, um, I guess, how do we bring in, because you said everybody, um, everybody can play a role. Organizations, communities, individuals. Now, what about um, the private health sector? What role can they play? So, I think the private health sector is very well positioned in some cases. So, again, mm, I hate giving examples for my own organizations, like I'm selling the product. No, but please do. I mean, cancer yeah. is relevant to, to everyone. It's relatable. Yeah. Um, and so, one of the things that we do is, and working with, with private hospital partners is, we actually do a nationwide screening program with with Etika, big partner for many years now. And uh, what's lovely about it is this. Instead of us building little hospitals in which we screen for breast cancer all around, we've just partnered with all these different uh, partner hospitals all across the country. And what we do with them is we buy services. So they do a little bit of CSR and they are, they are kind of giving back is that, look, because you're doing this for the community, instead of giving this as X price, I give it at X minus Y with this huge kind of discount. Mm. And those hospitals are now so much nearer for, say, in Klantan. In Klantan, we have a partner. In Trungano, we have a partner. In Perlis, we have a partner. And people in Perlis now do, don't need to come to NCSM in yeah. KL to get, get a scan. Mm. They can get it done there. It's, mm. and it's so much better. So um, private healthcare uh, infrastructure in this country is quite extensive. In many places, they can support, complement, or even uh, do better than existing government infrastructure in that area. Mm. What we haven't been able to do is meaningfully engage with them. Mm. Because it's not that they are not Malaysian or they don't have parents or, you know, uh, or, you know, mm. or they don't have... Uh, they, they have a very strong investment in the community as well. They mm. want to do good. Because, not, yeah, yeah. because I think the assumption is because they are profit-making, therefore um, they're not part of this discussion. That's not true, right? That's absolutely not true. And I think they've demonstrated it uh, time and again, many, many times. So even during COVID, I think the private healthcare sector, look, again, I don't work with private healthcare at all. So I've, I've got no game, a bone in this game. But um what is this? Even during COVID, I think private hospitals acted to kind of offset mm. uh, when when uh, offset patients with government Correct. patients were loaded. And yes. then recently, I know we were all involved in uh, using private hospitals to do catch-up surgeries. Yes. To kind of clear the backlog for the That's Ministry right. of Health. So these mm. are things that that 
when when we do need them to step up, they do. Mm. So yeah. we need to use that partnership more effectively and more cohesively, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think I want to uh, come back to the point you made, and this brings it back to individuals. Uh, at the start of the show, you said that there are some decisions that each of us can make, and we're probably in a position to be able to make these decisions before any healthcare pro- problems arise. What are some of those? I mean, it's the beginning of the year. It's um, always a good time as people want to start the year fresh to think about what the whole new year, new me can mean for them, right? Now, let's get really serious. A lot of non-communicable diseases um, build up over years uh, in our lives. So what is it? Would, what, what are some of these decisions that you said people can do um, before the first sign of problems even? Okay. So in terms of prevention, I'll divide into like prevention, screening and perhaps diagnostics. We, we don't go into treatment, so avoidance. So in terms of prevention, the, things, the many things that you can do to reduce your kind of propensity perhaps to pick up a disease or even like um, prevents your whole family from picking up this disease as well as kind of going into like the financial investments required to protect them later on. For example, just going down this very silly road. Again, I don't work for health insurance. Um, so my, my children, um, it, we, we decided to buy health insurance for them like, like really young. And at this point in time, it cost them like, it cost me a ridiculously low amount of, of money. Course, I think it's yeah, like less than 100 young. ringgit. Mm. Yep. And, and then it's, it's carried on until I think the 90 or 100 or something now. But... It's like 200 ringgit, which a lot of people don't want to spend. You know, they're like, but they prefer to buy like a new iPhone, whatever it is now, 13, 14, 15. You know, so choices, lah. Mm. you know, in terms of prevention and financial protection. These are things that we need to kind of put into perspective. We wouldn't spend money on like perhaps looking at healthy food or something, but we would spend money on totally like... Well, just... Yeah. Um, luxuries, right? Yeah. That uh, and again, it's what kinds of choices do you yeah. want to make? Yeah, so that's that's a lot of like kind of financial uh, discussions around there as well. Mm. Second is of course this whole idea of spending to be healthy, in in terms of like even we we talk now about preventive um, um, ex- like even nutrition exercise things like even your annual health screening. People go five years once. I about seventy percent of our patients do a five-year <laughs> once health examination. It's like, it's money. Look, the government, like, for example, the government gives you a tax break now, I think a thousand ringgit for individual and family health checkups and mm. another indi- like thousand ringgit for vaccination. So do it every year if if nothing else for that tax exemption, yeah, right? <laughs> how much more can we incentivize people, right? Mm. But it's things that, you know, you would never do. Mm. Like, you would do it perhaps sometimes and then out of this thousand ringgit, would you spend that time, energy and effort to maybe take your dad your mom, you know, it's things that we really need to think about. All right. So um, back to, I guess, then the concept of many small umbrellas. And perhaps now we we can wrap up with this um, idea um, as a coalition of organizations. Um, where does NCD Malaysia want to see this going? Like, how would you want to push the small umbrellas approach forward really constructively? Um not just rely on 
perhaps some of the organizations under your embed or some uh, corporations that you're talking to, but really how can you get more people together and get them to put up their own umbrellas as well? Lovely. So a couple of things that we're doing. First is, of course, NCD, NCD Malaysia by itself is an umbrella. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so there's about 40 of organizations within it working all across the country. So what the organization is doing actively is look, looking to become a catalyst and look, we are going out into communities, we're going out into states, we're talking to people and like, and highlighting to them the gaps that exist and talking to them to see that are these people who are interested in bridging the gap, can they help us to bridge the gap? If they don't have the expertise, can we lend them that expertise? Can we lend the kind of the thinking, the framework, the processes that are needed? So these are ongoing efforts and you can start to see like there's a lot of these little umbrellas that are popping up all across mm. the place, mm. you know, and, and but also NCD is acting as a check and balance in the sense that, look, if you're seeing like there's an overcrowding of a certain kind of umbrella, for example, if you're coming back to this thing, there's just different uh, people offering the same kind of service. Look, we're, we're trying to speak to them to say, hey, don't go into this. Mm. Or we're actually highlighting in the media. Now, look, there's an over congestion of this. Don't go into this space. If you're going to spend money, if you're going to do something to help people, look at this instead. And so that's that's an ongoing conversation as well. So a lot of awareness, but also a lot of uh, policy making in the sense of small policies, getting different organizations, getting companies to actually put in this kind of expensive um, kind of ideas to actually help their workers, their workers' families. These are things that we continue to do. So... People can get in touch with NCD Malaysia. Anyone who's listening, whether you're a small community group uh, and you already know of some concerns within your community or or um, perhaps you are um, from a corporation and you're looking to reach out uh, to engage meaningfully, right, to, to make some impact when it comes to um, health outcomes in our country, they can get in touch with NCD Malaysia. For sure. And we're happy to help. And most importantly, the service is free. <laughs> you said the magic thing. word there. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Morali. I've been speaking to Dr. Morali Daramunisami, Managing Director from the National Cancer Society of Malaysia and Co-Chair of NCD Malaysia about universal health coverage and how we can ensure uh, that people with NCDs get to enjoy access um, to healthcare services that they need uh, when they need it, at the time they need it, in, in exactly the manner that they need it. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.